This is Father's Day. I, fatherhood is my thing. I love fatherhood. All righty. Today we're going to talk about the war on fatherhood, the war on fatherhood in this nation, and we're going to get down to it. All righty. Uh, one of the greatest revelations in the Bible and in life is found in one verse in the book of Malachi, one simple verse. And uh, the Bible says this. I want you to read the last verse. It's, it's a promise and it's a revelation. The last verse in the Old Testament says this, Malachi 4, 6. He will turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. The curse, uh, Deuteronomy 28, is where the Bible talks about the curse on humanity. And it simply says this. If you disobey me and you rebel against me and you rebel against my word, then the curse will be on you. And, and then it goes on. It's a lengthy, lengthy chapter to describe what happens in the earth if the curse comes on the earth. Uh, broken families, failed businesses, a nation going into debt, you will become a debtor nation. You begin to lose small wars, mental maladies. It sounds like the headlines of today's news. I mean, the curse that comes on a nation when it rebels against God, it, Deuteronomy 20, it sounds like today's news. That's the curse. Now, here's the great revelation. Many people today in our nation are saying, well, here's the problem with our nation. Here's the problem with our nation. What does Malachi 4, 6 say? The problem in the nation, what's the root of it? Fatherhood. Fatherhood. Let me teach you something here. When God Almighty created life on this planet, what's the first institute he ever created? The family. And he designed that the family would be the foundation of a great society. If you want a great community, a prosperous community, a healthy, safe community, it rises and falls on the health of the family. The families, everything, education rises and falls on the family. Our educational system today is, is in deep trouble. I'm not being unkind. Everybody knows that. Our scores are plummeting. There's violence in the schools. Uh, Tony Rose, who's on our school board in our county, sometime back they were having a, a special meeting to discuss what can we do to fix our problems in the schools. And Tony spoke up and he said this, till you fix the family in this nation, you will never fix the schools. Well, that didn't go over too well with people, but I'm going to tell you something. He nailed it. The root of society's problems come from the breakdown of the family in the last 50 years. All right. What, what, where does the breakdown of the family come? The collapse of fatherhood. The collapse of fatherhood. The enemy of everything good has waged a war against society by attacking the family. And he knows this. If you want to destroy a nation, go after fatherhood. Go after the fathers. And th that's why the scripture says... If the hearts of the fathers don't turn back toward their children, and then I can bring the children back to the fathers, the land will live under a curse. And you can see this. But don't you notice something also? Malachi 4, 6 is a promise. I will turn the hearts of men back to their children. And I'll turn the hearts of children back to their fathers. I'm seeing that happen in a younger generation now. For several generations, we got drifted away from what was really important. And I'm starting to see this happen now. Uh, let me give you just a little... Uh, let me give you the state of the American family. 245 nations on this planet. What nation leads the world in fatherless homes? United States. We have a higher percentage of fatherless homes than any, we're number one out of 245 nations. We have more children in this nation living without a father in the home than any nation on the planet. Center for Disease Control says this, 85% of all teen behavioral disorders in treatment today are with teenagers who grew up in a home without a father. 85%. 70% of all teenagers today in recovery, were in addiction recovery, were raised in homes without a father. 75% of all rapes committed in this nation are by men who had no father in the home when they grew up. A child without a father in the home is five times as likely to live in poverty. 90% of all homeless and runaway teens came from fatherless homes. 70% of all high school dropouts, fatherless homes. 65% of all youth suicides came out of fatherless homes. Fatherhood is the great need. All right, and the greatest need in our community and all, anybody that deals in societal problems right now, I'll tell you this, it's in the young black community, especially with young black men. 
I have such a, I love young black men. And what's happening to them today is criminal. And uh, the, the answers that we have today are not, let me just cut to the chase. The people who have the microphone today have no business having it. We're hearing from people who are not wise. They cannot heal the problem. Uh, there's a guy named, uh, I'm, I'm really impressed, with him, a guy named Kendall Qualls. Kendall was an army uh, officer and he started an organization years ago called Take Charge, which was to turn the hearts of fathers back to the children, especially in the black community. He's running for the governor of Minnesota. Thank God certain people are starting to run for political offices that have wisdom that can lead us. I, now this is, a, and by the way, Qu- uh, Mr. Qualls is a black man who is trying to redeem the black young community, especially young black men. I want you to listen to what he has to say. This is one of the most stunning statistics. For 100 years post-Civil War, from 1865 to 1965, you got it? That 100 year period, end of the Civil War ended 1865, 1965, does anybody remember what happened significant in 19, you gotta be my age to remember this. It's when we started the Great Society. It's when Lyndon Johnson started the war on poverty and we tried to redeem society. Post-Civil War years, 1865-1965, the black family was strong despite economic depression, the added burden of Jim Crow laws and racism, which kept most black Americans from achieving the American dream. However, today's problems come from 50 years of self-inflicted wounds brought about by politicians, local leaders, and social welfare programs that slowly remove God and fathers from the families. We've known for decades that fatherless homes are the existential threat to the black community and any community. Civil rights leaders worked to remove barriers to freedom in the late 1960s. President Johnson's introduction of the Great Society was a Trojan horse that would re-enslave families and usher in the destruction of the black family in every major city. These programs heavily marketed in black communities had one requirement, no father could be in the home. The bait and switch resulted in a 50-year cultural genocide which brought the decline of two-parent families. And listen to what I'm fixing to say. 1965, 80% of all young black men had a father in the home. Today it's down to 20%. Only one in five black children has a father in the home. And the white community is on the same, same trend. For 50 years, we've watched state-sponsored child abuse. Our government has incentivized fatherless homes while inflicting tax penalties on married couples. As a result, children have suffered for years. You're starting to hear voices speak up now and say, what we thought would fix it has actually hurt it. And we thought our solutions would help. I'm gonna tell you something, the family's in trouble in this nation today. And fatherlessness is at the root of it because our enemy knows you destroy the home by destroying the father. However, let me tell you something. Malachi chapter four, six, it burns in my heart as the great promise of God today. Uh, you know, we've got politicians trying to fix it, academics trying to fix it, preachers trying to fix it, good luck. Who said he was gonna fix it? I will turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the hearts of the children back to the father. You know what I'm seeing in young men today in their 20s? I'm seeing guys who wanna be great fathers. I'm seeing the revival of fatherhood and it is the work of God in this land. I think with the pendulum has swung so far over here that we're seeing such carnage that finally God is moving in the hearts of young men and we're stirring back toward it. All right, let me talk to you for a little bit. Let's help young men. I, I love Malachi. It's the great promise to heal the land. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a dad fan. I believe the secret to life is dad. Amen. My radical feminist friends who I love dearly, I'm all about equal pay for equal work. I, you, listen, wh- why would a woman want to lower herself to be like a man? <laughs> we elevate women in our culture, buddy. I mean, we honor women where we're from. Uh, as Jerry Clower said, my wife don't need no feminist. She got somebody that comes and do the house cleaning for her and she can watch her soap operas on any TV she wants to. She don't need to be liberated. <laughs> Let me tell you something. The secret to this land being healed is for men to become what God created them to be again. And for dads to step up to the plate. Let me give you some help for dads. We're just gonna have some fun today. Uh, There's this mindset that has gotten in people. The the other night, the power went out at our house. Me and my wife had to go out to eat somewhere. She'll use anything to keep them fixing dinner. (laughs) I'd go out to eat somewhere. We could have built a fire. 
and cutest little girl waited on us. I got to talking to her about what she wants to do with her life and all this, what's, what she wants to do. And she said this, I, I don't want to have children. I said, why not? She said, this world's too messed up to bring children into. Even the church has bought that lie. Let me ask you a question. Who is your God? Where is your God? Where is his word? Where is it? Listen, we've let this lie get on us that darkness is more powerful than light. It is a lie. Our, our faith, listen, yes, darkness will cover the earth, deep darkness of people. We're living in it. But you forgot the other half of that verse in Isaiah chapter 60. But the glory of the Lord will be upon you and your house. Now, I'm going to ask you a simple question. This is not deep. Here's a simple question. Who is more powerful, hell or heaven? Who is more powerful, the powers of hell or the living God? Who said, let me, let me make an announcement. The command to be fruitful and multiply is still in effect. That's why we got such a large children division. Somebody's listening to him somewhere. Can I get a witness? <laughs> These are not days to be trembling over how bad it is out there. These are days to be celebrating the touch of God on people that'll believe him. All right, dads, here we go. Let me give you a few things. Number one, first thing every dad needs to do is hit his knees. Amen. Hit your knees. The day I found out we were, excuse me, my wife would say we were not pregnant. She was pregnant. <laughs> The day I found out our first child was on the, on the way, the next morning I hit my knees. I have prayed every morning since. I don't know what I'm doing. You do. Help me. And I've prayed for my children every day since, since the day I found out they were on the way. And I don't pray fancy prayers. I pray, I need your help. And let me ask you a question. People talk about how bad and how rotten it is out there. Can I ask you a question? If God be for us, what does it matter who is against us? We've got to start putting more faith in light and the promise of God than the darkness. Yes, the darkness will increase, but tell me the day that Satan whoops Jesus. All right, you got to, I want you to memorize John chapter one, verse five. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. I, I, young father, listen to me, dads, hit your knees. Hit your knees and tell him every day, I can't do this, but you can and you will. That's called have faith in God. He did not give you those children for them to be sold into slavery by Satan. Well, I, I hear Christian parents say, I'm afraid my kids are going to get on drugs. Why do you have so much faith in hell? Why do you have so much faith in evil? Put your faith in God. Listen, get you a Bible. Matter of fact, if you don't want to look it up in the Bible, go right out that. We can't go through that door. Security won't let you out. But on the other side of that door where we have our children's desk is a little uh, folder right there. Pick it up. It's called prayers for your children. It's scriptures you pray over your children. Instead of saying, afraid my kids are going to get on drugs. Why don't you say all my children will be taught of the Lord and great will be the peace of my children. I don't care what it looks like. There's you. You don't get the blessing and then say thank you. You speak the blessing and watch it come. And I cannot emphasize how important prayer is for a father. Pray over yourself, pray over your children and do not surrender your kids in fear to the enemy of your soul. In faith, listen, God gave me those kids. They don't belong to the school. They don't belong to the government. They don't belong to some snotty headed hippie who wants to take them off. They don't belong to hell. They belong to me. Psalm 127, behold, children are a gift from the Lord to their parents. And listen, listen, you can do this, guys. So I'm not a very good prayer. Look right here. Learn, dude. Learn. <laughs> Learn. Pray this. Here, here, if you don't know what to pray, pray this. Father. Father. He understands what you're going through. Father, which art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done over every one of my children. And, and what if he were to answer that prayer? Do you think that you think the man's lying? Do you think he would tell you, listen to these words. When you pray, say. He told you to say this to him. Guess why? So he can answer it for you. Pray it in simple faith. Listen, quit looking for a feeling. <laughs> quit looking for a feeling and start looking for a verse. I need to preach that over and over. Number two, number two, you got to do what I did. Intentional fathering. You know what intentional, intentionality has become the buzzword today. Intentional fathering. Listen, don't be a businessman who likes to fish, who's got an old lady and a couple of kids. That's fathering on the side. Father intentionally. The day I found out I was going to be a father, it scared me spitless. 
because I did not know what I was doing. I'm gonna be honest with you. I didn't have the best model growing up. I didn't know how to father. I didn't know what to do. So guess what I did? I decided ain't nothing on this planet gonna be more important than family. I decided that day I can get another job, but I got one family and I'm gonna be an intentional father. And you know what that means? I'm gonna work at it. And I'm, I'm gonna father on purpose. I'm gonna take time to think about it. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna look at this thing and I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna gauge myself and I'm gonna measure myself. And uh, <clears throat> you can't father on the side. You have to father on purpose. You have to be intentional about this father. You gotta make up your mind. This is important in my life. This is not the most important thing. Children need to be at the top of the list. You can get another job. One of the great mistakes we've made in the last 30 years is that men have put their careers above their families. It's unscriptural. I'm, I'm not fussing this one. I'm just telling you, congratulations on having a great career. They're going to fire you one day when you get 105. Your children are eternal. It's a priority thing. Intentional father. Number three, listen to me. Great fathering is a learned thing. It's not natural. It's a learned thing. Make up your mind. You're going to learn how to be a father. When I found out I was going to be a father, I began to read every great book I could find on fatherhood. One of the greatest books I ever read, Gloria Gaither, her husband's Bill Gaither. Gloria Gaither wrote a book called What My Parents Did Right. And she contacted 50 of the greatest leaders in this nation and said, write me a few pages on what your parents did right. Because I know this, you got where you are by having great parents. And 50 of the greatest leaders, senators, ministers, businessmen, they wrote a few pages on what my father did right. I grabbed that book and I read it and I devoured anything I could get my hands on like that that was a picture of great fathering. Listen, great father, you don't, you don't hope things work out. You know what hope gets you? Hoping 50 cent will get you coffee to fly in jail. We got to have better than that. Well, it's 95 cent now. Don't hope, learn. Learn how to be a father. I want to show you something about learning to be a father. Turn with me to Philippians chapter two or anything else you want to learn in life. Philippians chapter two. Our father has ordained. All right, listen, the almighty has ordained that you, you learn how to do things by a certain way. Uh, now education's all right, but dear ones, if you want to learn how to do something, this is so simple. If you want to learn how to do something, find somebody who has done it well and watch them. That's his ordained plan. Look with me in Philippians three. Philippians 3, 17. Brethren, join in following my example. Now this this is for anybody for anything. Philippians 3, 17 says this. Brethren, join in following my example and note, make a note of those who so walk as you have us for a what? Pattern. What do you tell you to do? Find people who are doing well what you want to do and stare at them. God's given you people as a pattern. So I picked out three or four men that were great fathers. Men that just knew what they were doing. They seemed like they were natural at it. They were very good at it. Their kids were successful. And I would watch them guys. The Bible has given you, listen, if you want to learn how to play golf, don't call me. Call Tiger Woods. I'm, are you with me here? If you want to learn how to catch fish, don't call me. I, I don't go fishing to catch fish. I go fishing to relax. If you don't catch fish, call Jeremy. He'll, he'll tell you what to do. I mean, if you want to learn how to bake a cake, do not call me. Find people who've done things well and study them. That's what the Bible says in Philippians 3, 17. Find people who do it well and make a note of them. All right, guys, learn how to be a dad from people who've done it. Not only that, fathers.com. The tremendous websites today that just help. You'd just be surprised how much you could pick up just listening. Uh, One of the things at the time, back when my kids were young, there was a ministry called Focus on the Family. Now, Focus has lost some of its glitter since Jim Dobson left, but I listen to Focus on the Family every day just to learn how to do family. Uh, dear ones, if you don't know how to do something, go learn. I'm over your head here. If you don't know how to do it, go learn. We, that's how we get somewhere is by learning. And uh, not, not to mention, of all the great books on fathering, this may be one of the best ones I ever read right here. This is a great book on fathering right here. I remember in the second grade going to pick my daughter up at a school one day, and I was talking with her teacher and the aide, wonderful ladies, and, uh, and she said, you, you should write a book on fathering. And well, I was very flattered by that. I wish, you know, she didn't know everything. I said, well, ma'am, there's one that's already been written and you're never going to top it. It's the greatest book ever written on fathering. Here's my point. Learn from others. All right. Number four, 
I hope I don't make you mad here. I hope I don't make the whole world mad here, but I didn't write it. Take it up with the one who wrote it. You need to be the teacher of your children. You need to be the teacher of your children. Who is teaching your children? Who's teaching your children what their values should be? Who's doing it? Who's teaching your children what their priorities should be? Who's teaching your children what their habits should be? Who's teaching your children about relationships? Who is teaching your children? All right, turn with me to the great verse on fatherhood in the Bible. Ephesians chapter six. Uh, Turn back from Philippians. One book, Ephesians chapter six, probably just two or three pages. I want you to read this verse and I want you to get this in your heart because the, the living God is fixing to speak here. I saw this years ago and I realized I was doing some things wrong. But Ephesians chapter six, and I'm gonna challenge you on something here. Ephesians chapter six, verse four says this. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath. Let's let's pause right there. Another translation says this. Don't be so hard on your children that you break their spirits. One of the great problems in our nation today, the violence is rooted in the anger of young black men. It's the anger of young black men and young white men too, but primarily young black men. And a lot of the experts are saying it's because of privilege and different things. What does the Bible say it is? Fathers. Fathers. When young men are angry, what does it go back to? Father. Listen, guys, don't be so hard on your children. But watch this. Fathers, train up your, do not provoke your children to wrath, but train them or bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. I don't want to ask you a question. Show me anywhere in the Bible where God said, turn your children over to the government. Let your government teach your children. All right, let me go a little further. Show me anywhere in the Bible where it says mothers are supposed to do it. It's not in there. Of course, mothers, you know, you can learn from your mothers. Mother, God gave a child a mother to nurture them. God gave a child a father to teach them how to live. Not even the church is supposed to be the primary teacher. Who did God ordain as the primary shaper of a child's life? Dad. See where the problem's coming in our nation right now? Listen, listen, Dad. <clears throat> you can do it. You can do this. They say, well, that sounds like work. Welcome to life, Bubba. Listen to me. I will shape my children's values by teaching them a little bit and modeling it a lot. Let me make an announcement in case you didn't know this about fathering. Most of what your kid's going to pick up is caught more than it's taught. See, you can lecture at them all you want to, but you know what they're really going to do? They're going to imitate you. That's why you got to, listen, I'm not, forget the perfection stuff. How many of us broke perfection a long time ago? One of the greatest things you can do with a dad is when you screw up, humble yourself and say, sweetheart, daddy's wrong. I I told my kids I'm sorry so many times they think I legally changed my name, I'm sure. Let me what the deal is here. But the deal is to teach. I decided I don't want the school system teaching my children their values. I freaking sure don't want Disney teaching my children anything anymore. But if your children stare at Disney 50 hours a week and they see you 30 minutes a week, do the math, doc. Come on, guys. <laughs> Listen, I will teach my children these things. Now, I can't teach them everything. My kids go to school. They went to public school. There's nothing. I'm not saying you've got to cocoon them in the bathroom with you. <laughs> I'm just saying be the influence in their lives. You can do it. Step up to the plate and be the influence in their lives. All right, number five. Let's have some more fun. The Bible also designates the father as the defender of a child. Boy, somebody needs to step up and take care of children today. You need to be the defender of your child. How many of you, if you're walking down the hall, your kid's in the bed, you're walking down the hall, and you saw a gangbanger or a rapist crawling through your daughter's window, how many of you do something? This ain't a hard question. How many of you do something? Oh, me and Smith and Wesson, we'd be all over that. The greatest threat to your children's lives is not a gangbanger crawling through the window. It's the internet. It's a cell phone. When I was a kid, you know, back in the 1800s, if you wanted to look at pornography, you had to park your truck in front of a dirty bookstore and some old lady saw it and told your mama. Only place kids could get pornography when I was young was in a dirty bookstore. And I swear every preacher in town watched it, so you couldn't go there. I mean, you had to drive somebody else's vehicle. (laughs) Guess where it's at now? They don't even have to look for it. Let me tell you something, guys. Get in your child's business. 
know what's going on. Be the defender. Uh, a friend of mine in law enforcement, we had a young lady in this county, 17 years old, took off with some pervert from another state, disappeared. He was the investigating officer. And uh, he said to her mother, let me tell you what's going on. And her mother got so angry at him. How dare you accuse my child of that? He took that girl's cell phone, turned around and said, what's that right there? She didn't have a clue what was going on in her child's life or in that home. Get in your child's business so you can protect them and defend them. And uh, I mean, from, from their peers. Well, so don't you think they should get to choose who they date? Have you lost your mind? Let me make an announcement, whether you're in the horse industry or the child industry, you don't get racehorses out of mules. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Guys, man up. Quit being afraid of offending a 13 year old. Yes. <laughs> or their teacher or anybody, or their mama if it has to be. Everybody practice, let's, let's learn. You wanna be a great father? I'm gonna teach you two words. Let's, let's, number one, no. Let's learn how to say no. Now, now I'm going to teach you something about saying no, not saying it that often. Do you know what's coming home from your kids from the public schools? One day, my daughter, eighth grade, Southern Middle School, I'm not going to name the school, but it was Southern Middle School in Alamance <laughs> County. She brought home a book. And of course, I was always in my children's business and it was pornography. Plain and simple, it was pornography. It was a very descriptive account of rape in a stairwell for an eighth grader to read. The next day I was up there at the school with that book. I wasn't ugly, I wasn't unkind. I just simply said, 13 year olds have no business reading this kind of stuff. And uh, the, the, the lady said, but this is very famous literature. I said, so you think they should read very famous literature? She said, yes. I said, tomorrow I'm gonna bring you a copy of the world's all time number one best selling book. And since you think they should read famous literature, there ain't no literature more famous than that one right there. I wasn't unkind, I wasn't ugly. Do you know what your kids are bringing home from school? How many times, how many times have I had dads, parents say to me, we don't know what happened. And I say, there's the problem. Get, get up in their business, defend your children. Uh, boy, like never before, never before. And guys, listen, do not fear rejection. Everybody else is doing it, none of my business. As it doesn't say as for me in my community, as for me in my house. Yes. I'm not responsible for what the Joneses little rugrats do, <laughs> them little delinquents. That's none of my business. <laughs> I am responsible for the children God gave me. And you are too. And let me make an announcement. If your children think you're cool and they like you at 13, you're screwing up big time. You ever wonder why the Bible says their children will rise up and call them blessed? because they were so pissed off at you when they were young, they had to grow up to appreciate it. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Let me tell you one of the greatest honors a father or mother or father, a parent can have is when they're so mad at you when they're teenagers and then they grow up and do the same thing to their kids. That's a great honor right there. All right, now, now listen to me. Let me shift gears here. Do not become Mr. No. Too many dads have become Mr. No. Ephesians 6, 4, let me quote it again. Fathers, don't break your children's spirit. Don't be so hard on your children that they stay angry at you all the time. L listen to me, Joe Brown, uh, when I was just starting out as a father, Joe Brown told me one of the greatest things I ever heard as a father, I've never forgotten. He said, listen, never say no if you can say yes. Don't ever say no if you can say yes. Don't get in the habit of saying, only say no when you have to. Uh, like, can I lay up all night and play video games? No. Matter of fact, you can't play them at all in our house. All right, hang on, hang on. But if you tell your children, no video games, don't you go off and watch TV, take them camping, take them fishing. Don't just say no, replace it with something. If you don't like what they're doing, find something better for them to do and you be in the middle of it. So I can't sit around and drink beer with my buddies if I got to go off with my children. Now you're getting it. Now you're getting it. The day my children came, I had a new set of best friends. I had brand new fishing buddies. I had to wait till they were grown at two before we could start fishing together. <laughs> Listen, don't ever be, don't become Mr. No. Take your kids fishing. Take your kids dancing. So I don't know how to dance. Oh, it'll be even better. It'll be even funnier. Learn, dude. Listen, get in a ball game. You learned how to be a great carpenter. You learned how to be a great engineer. You learned how to be a great mechanic. Learn how to be a great dad. 
get a, listen, get in a ball game, man, and take a few others with you. All right, let me, let me do one more. Every father needs to learn how kids spell the word love. It's not L-O-V-E-T-I-M-E. T-I-M-E. Now listen, listen to me, listen to me. This is where we get in trouble. We have created a crazy culture today. We are way too busy. Matter of fact, it's a badge to be busy today. It's nuts to be as busy we are today. We need to chop some of the stuff off and have more quality in doing fewer things. This thing of running around like you're half crazy, jumping out of bed at 5.30 in the morning and racing all day and falling into bed exhausted at 11, that's nuts. He didn't design us to live like this. Now, these are difficult days we live in far as work. But do you work? But listen, do a few things well. Philippians 3.13 says this, one thing I do. We're trying to do too many things. And we need to learn this. Let me, in, case you're, in case you've got young kids, let me make an announcement. Three days from now, they're going to be gone. You don't have kids half your life. You have them for about five minutes. Any old people bear witness to what I'm saying here? Them kids are going to get up and get grown in a hurry. And you better treasure every day you got. And uh, I've talked to so How many kids have told Because I love kids. I spend time with teenagers and college kids. And I love to talk to them. So many have told me this. I didn't want the car. I didn't want the money. I wanted a dad. I wanted dad to do something with me. Then, guys, it's not the four or five or six great big wild things we did. It was the 1,000 little things. It, it was the little things that we did along the way. You, you just can't, you can't beat time. Now I'm at that place in life where time has replaced money as my most valuable commodity. I shouldn't have waited so long. Time should be everybody's most valuable commodity because you can make more money. You can't make more time. And there is a window of opportunity I'll deal with that later. Squeeze everything you can't. Learn how kids spell love. They spell it by time. All right, now listen to me. Number eight, this is real important. I got two more, one more. Number eight, you need to be the CEO of your home. Yes. Hey, man, wait a minute. That's not chief executive officer. That's chief encouragement officer. Yes. You, listen, a father's primary job is to encourage his children. I got a note from one of my daughters the other day and it said, thank you for being the greatest cheerleader in my life. Let me tell you what I know about kids. Kids need to be encouraged. Everybody needs to be cheered for. Everybody, them dads on that, that was the, that was the goofiest dad-off thing. I guess that was a dad-off. I don't know what it was that we saw, but that was good how that them guys quit acting like alpha dogs and started acting like godly men. And you know what? Listen, those, listen words are important. People need to hear it. They say, well, they know it. No, 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 you're, you're wrong, doc. They got to hear it. That's why the Bible didn't say, think these things. It said, speak these things to your children. And you need to bless your children and you need to encourage your children. I've seen various studies that say this. For every one time that you correct a child, you have to cheer for them about five or six times just to break even, just to balance it out. Well, I decided if I got to correct my children and, and they do need to be corrected once in a while, that's why God gave you to them. They need to be corrected. I decided I would cheer for them 50 times for every one time I had to encourage them. And you need to cheer for them and love them and encourage them. And you need to write notes on their mirror and you need to leave sticking. When they start driving, leave sticky notes on their steering wheel. Don't drive like an idiot. I mean, put something like, I love you. Listen, be the encouragement officer in your house. He says, well, I don't talk all that well. Look right here at your preacher. Learn, Bubba. I mean, some, can be, some things can be learned and our, our kids need to hear it. Why are young girls running off with idiots today? Why are young teenage girls running off with these goofwads today? And I'm, I'm sorry, I know that's ugly to say that. Why are young girls running off with boys that are gonna damage them? They're looking for what father never gave. Guys, listen, when, when some goober, I'm being ugly about these boys today, you know. When some goober says, I see the stars in your eyes. She said, forget it, Jack. My daddy been telling me that since I was a baby. Listen, beat goober to her heart. Can I get a witness? All right. You need to encourage these kids. You be some. Kids get beat mercilessly today. And when they get in them middle school, middle school is brutal. Every kid needs to come home and have daddy at the house that evening saying, you a champion, son. Sweetheart, you're a wonder. Let your words offset the junk they go through. One more thing. Dad, 
think eternity. Listen to me, you better think eternity. The greatest thought that's ever come into my mind is the cross. I've never thought of anything greater than the cross. How that the creator of this universe would think as much of me as to do that. I'll never, you'll never think a greater thought than the cross. That's why you need to spend a lot of time thinking about the cross. It's called meditation. But one of the greatest thoughts besides that to ever come into my mind is that me and my sweetheart, my wife, we had a day where we started a life. Do you understand that? We came together and started a life. Life starts at the moment of conception. No discussion. It's over. The Bible speaks very clearly. Life starts at the moment of conception. And my sweetheart and I came together as a husband and a wife, and we started a life on a set moment in time. And the greatest thought I've ever thought is that life, we started a life on a set day, listen to this, that will never end. That child is going to live for eternity in one of two places. That's one of the most staggering thoughts that a man and woman can come together and start a life that will never have an end. All right, if the Bible says this, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his own soul? What would it profit a child to have a new truck, braces, a college education, a boat, you name it, but lose his own soul? Every father needs to pray every day for the eternal securement of his child's soul. Most important thing you can ever do for your child is point them to Jesus. Listen, nothing else matters. I'm stunned in this generation that we cannot see beyond a few moments. Teach us to number our days that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. And the greatest thing, listen, guys, let me, let me cheer for you here for a minute. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be great. You don't have to be smart. You just have to love Jesus and love your children. And you tell him, me and you together, we're going to pull this off. We can do this, but you need to think eternity. And we got to get back to being eternally minded. I don't want you to listen to the musings of an old man for just a minute. My kids are grown. My oldest is 30 something or other. I don't know. You know, when they're two and a half, two and three quarters, two and four months, we keep up with that. They get in their thirties. They're just in their thirties. You don't know where they're in there. All right, my kids are grown. Let me tell you a few things I did right. And then I want to tell you if I had it do over again. Some things I did right when my kids grew up. Number one, I honored their mother. I adored their mother. My children have never heard me speak unkind to their mother. And I cheered for their mother and loved their mother. And when I was in private with my kids, they never heard me speak dishonorably about their mother. I always built their mother up. I adored their mother. Let me tell you one of the greatest things you can give your kids. Worship the ground their mother walks on. Teach your children how to be married by watching how you're married. Guess where our young men are supposed to learn how to treat women? Watching rap videos. Is that where we learn how to treat women? We learn how to treat women by watching the way our dads treat our mothers. One of the best things you'll ever do. Number two, I worked at fatherhood. I I was nervous. I was scared about it. I knew I didn't know what I was doing. So I studied and worked at it and I examined and re-examined and went back and looked again. You know, if if you'll try, if you'll work hard at something, some things just work out good. Work at fatherhood. Number three, I protected my children without fear. I just got this thing. I really don't give a flying natural in what anybody else thinks about what we're doing. Well, this is our house and we're going to do this here. And uh, well, I really don't care if every other preacher in the world is doing it. Not at this house. And, and I, prote- I was blessed by being able to protect my children. Number four, I enjoyed family. I was the CEO of my house. I was the chief entertainment officer in my house. We're going to make sure we laugh at this house. And we're going to sit down to dinner every night if we can. And then I'm going to be any electronics on. And your cell phone's not going to be on at this table. And it's going to be good. Listen, you don't need the TV. You need to replace the TV Amen. with yourself. And we, listen, I didn't lecture my children. I didn't say, now, where, did you behave today? We didn't do that mess. We laughed. We, I made sure that we had fun in our house. You want your kids to come home? Make it a great place to come to. And we thoroughly enjoyed the house. And then one more, I was my children's cheerleader. I knew how tough life was for kids. I know what them kids are going through. And, and man, when they got to middle school, you, you better be all over that. I, my daughter was laughing the other day. I would chaperone the middle school dances. I need to be there. And I remember one night I had middle school dance. And you know, I don't know what this thing is, but at middle school, children are funny about their parents being around their peers. I don't get it. I have always purposely driven a piece of junk truck. I just love junky old trucks. 
The one I got now is about as nice as I've ever had. But when my daughter was a cheerleader in the middle school, I drove this junky old ragged Dodge truck. I can't even tell you what color it was. It wasn't a color. It was just there. And uh, I can remember I'd go pick her up in that old truck and I would purposely blow the horn. I'll never forget one time we were riding after there had been a basketball game each year in some other school and a group of cheerleaders went by and I started to blow the horn and she's on the floorboard. She wouldn't even raise her head up. And I'd tell them, hey, I called. They're going to let me chaperone the middle school dance. One particular dance, me and there was a deputy named Phil Helton. And Phil had a daughter that was there. So he being the deputy, he wanted to chaperone too. So me and him chaperoned the middle school dance that night. We ruined it. We had the best time. Because Phil had that big deputy flashlight. And anytime them kids got closer than six inches, here we went. Here we went, right in the middle of it. We had, nobody else had fun, but me and Phil did that night. Oh, listen to, I knew in middle school, you better cheer for them kids. Get in your kids' lives. All right, let me shift gears and, uh, let me shift gears and tell you where I missed it. Let me give you three ifs. If I could do it over again, and let me make an announcement, you don't get to if I could do it over again, number one, I would spend far more time with my family and less time at work. Amen. I'd spend less time doing anything else. I would spend more time with family. Uh, you ever heard that familiarity breeds contempt? You can be around something so much you start taking it for granted. Don't take your children for granted. There's going to come a day where you're going to be like me and you're going to wish they'd call you. There's going to come a day where you, that you're going to be like me and you just would love to see them sometime, which we, we have good relationships. But then they, they, those days where they're in your house, you better enjoy them. I'd spend more time with family. Number two, I would be more creative with family. We'd, we'd camp out in the backyard more often. We'd have took uh, sheets and made tents inside the house with the table chairs more often to slip under them. We'd have built more fires and cooked more marshmallows over them. Don't just lay around and watch TV all the time. I, mean, I know you think I'm against TV. I am. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. There's just something better. We'd have been more creative. We'd have walked through the woods more as a family and looked at stuff. Listen, I, I, listen work saps our energy. I know work wears you out. Guys, save something for the greatest people in your life. We'd have been more creative about what we did. And number three, it's the great regret of my life as a parent. Uh, with my children, there would have been more Jesus and the beauty of Jesus and less church. Yes. More beauty, less church. I know, let me tell you one of the smartest things I ever did. <clears throat> it's a known fact that a lot of preachers' kids get ruined. I don't think it's of the devil. I just think preachers blow it. But we live, you go down a gravel road, state maintained road, my kids, gravel road. And then at the end of that gravel road, our driveway is another quarter of a mile. And the first day we moved there, I turned on that gravel road just a few feet and I stopped, got out of my truck and I went out there with my finger. I drew a line across that gravel road and I said, work never crosses this line right here. Amen. Work stays out there. That side of that line is family. My children never would have known where I worked if they didn't come to church here because I didn't take work home. I didn't sit around and whine about them rotten deacons. I don't even know who the deacons here are. We got good deacons here. I didn't go home and complain about the old women. I didn't do that stuff. Every day, every day I, mentally, I would cross that line and say, work's over, family now. Be careful not to carry that junk home with you. But the great mistake I made with my children is we, we were too, you know, when you're young, you don't know what you don't know. One of the greatest, one of my all-time favorite sayings is by Dr. Angela Mayo, where she said this, when I was young, I didn't know any better. But now that I know better, I do better. And if I had to do over again, my children would be more about the beauty of Jesus and less about church and religion and behaving. And uh, learn from my mistakes, do that. Oh, I love fatherhood. That's why the Bible said, listen to this. I'm gonna quote Psalm 92:12 to you. Teach us to number our days that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. You know what that means? Quit living for today's cheeseburger. Think down the road a little bit. Number your days and think about it. All right. An old, what's an old man's trophy? Guess what an old man's trophy is? It? Is it his work? No. It's going to come a day you're going to get my age or even older. And, you know, thank God for work. It provides for our families and we should enjoy our work. But it was, work's not an old man's trophy. Sports is not an old man's trophy. Sports? 
Let me make an announcement uh, in case you didn't know this. Uh, it's going to be gone one day. That's temporary. I won trophies when I was younger for tournaments I played in, most valuable player, home run trophies, yada, yada, and all that. Them things have been in the landfill for 30 years. I don't even remember what they look like. It was a big deal then. It's nothing now. That's temporary stuff. Uh, TV, television is an old man's trophy. You don't even remember what you watched last Tuesday. Much less 40 years from now, what's an old man's trophy? The Bible says children are the trophy of an old man. Children are your trophy. That's why you ought to put your, most, put your greatest effort in. I got three, three quick words for everybody. Number one, single moms. My heart goes way out to single moms. I cheer for single moms. I love single mothers. And uh, we have a, 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 a multi, just the breakdown of the family has left us with mothers trying to raise children. I know how tough it is with a mom and a dad. Single mothers, my, I cheer for them. Let me tell you what this book says right here. It's a father's responsibility, but in the case of Abigail in the Bible, what God said is, if a man don't accept his responsibility, I will bless a woman to fill the place. You got it? So where men drop the ball, God gives women grace. And that great verse in the Psalm that says this, when my father forsakes me, the Lord will take me up. So girls, I'm gonna tell you, if you're a single mama in here today, bow your neck, God is with you. And one of the greatest biographies you'll ever read. Listen, single mothers, get the biography of Ben Carson, the brilliant black surgeon, the only man to ever separate Siamese twins joined at the head, the world's top neurosurgeon. He was raised in the projects in Philadelphia in a slum with a single mother who had no education. Daddy abandoned him as a baby. But that mother, by the grace of God, raised the greatest neurosurgeon, pediatric neurosurgeon in the world. It's a great, listen, it's a great testimony of what one woman can do if she will trust God to help her do it. God makes a way. Secondly, to dads, you can do this. He did not put you on this planet to suck eggs and die. He put you on this planet to be a champion. By the way, your, your, your greatest trophy is not that you're the greatest salesman in your company. It has nothing to do with your bank account. Your wife's gonna spend that anyway. If she don't, inflation's gonna eat it up anyway. It's not your truck, it's gonna be in a junkyard in a few years from now. Your greatest trophy on this planet is to get that, whether it's a mug or a trophy or a hat or whatever that says world's greatest dad. <laughs> greatest trophy you'll ever get. All right, now listen to me carefully, I got one more thing to say. Malachi chapter four, verse six, I will turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the hearts of the children back to the fathers. I, this, this unnerves me because I'm, I'm personal about this stuff. I don't like to talk about my personal stuff, but I believe I need to help somebody here. I was not raised in the greatest situation. There was a day as a young man, the only thing I lived for was to never see my dad again. We fought constantly. I mean, it was violent. And I, I just didn't, I lived to get out of the house. That's all I wanted to do. And um, it wasn't good. I'll just say that. Now listen, none of this you owe me stuff, none of this, no bitterness. I honor him and respect him. But then I met Jesus and things changed. I never heard my dad say, I love you till I was 60 years old. I never heard him say one time, I'm proud of you until I was 60. But what does it say? I will turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and hearts of the children back to the fathers. We finished as dear friends. When he died last year, we finished as dear friends. And I look forward to a lot of great father and son times someday. Amen. We will make up in eternity what we missed on this earth. Amen. So I said that to some of you, we, we've got so many burned relationships that seem so hopeless. You're not gonna get much worse than mine was. I'm telling you, he will turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children. And he'll join the children's hearts back to the fathers. You cling to that last promise. And it's easy, easy to find. It's the last verse in the Old Testament. You cling to that promise if there's a problem in your family. And you trust God to restore it. How many times have I seen people that didn't speak for years, didn't even speak for years, but they finished well. Dear ones, we have got to start putting faith in a God who can do what he says he can do.
And that's the desire of your heart is to restore that relationship. He can do that. I'm all about dads. Oh, I, can I throw out one more? One of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 6, 18. I've already quoted it. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters. We got to get to know the father as a great father for who he is. One of the greatest revelations in my life is when I found out that my heavenly father was smiling. Now, a lot of preachers don't believe that. But why would a man that told me to serve him with gladness not be glad? If you don't believe he's glad, read Luke chapter 15 when it says, we are glad, me, I'm one and him is the other. When I was a young man, I served an angry God who was stern. Looked more like the Wizard of Oz than Jesus. (laughs) But I've got to know him. He's smiling on me and he's smiling on you. All right, let's tell him happy Father's Day. Father, I just praise you and thank you so much. I got the greatest father in all the world. I, I should have bought you a great, world's greatest dad coffee cup or something. I wouldn't know where to take it to. But I just want to tell you, I love you and praise you. I have the world's greatest father. My life should not have turned out like this. I should have been a statistic. I should have been in prison or in a graveyard somewhere by now. But look what my dad has done for me. And Father, all these people here bear the same testimony. On this day where we as a nation celebrate Father's Day, my heart aches, aches over what the collapse of fatherhood has cost this nation. But my heart rejoices over the heart of the Father who said, call on me. I will answer you. I will show you great and mighty things you've never known. So Father, I want to pray for dads. I want to pray for moms first. That you would let moms feel the weight that fathers bear. And that moms would cheer for dads. I want to pray for dads that they would hear your heart. They'd feel the heart of God. And, and it's like you could have raised my children better than I could. But you wanted me to have a part in it. And for that, I'm thankful. And I pray you just stamp on the heart of every father here. If God be for us, who can be against us? How can we not do this? Father, I pray in Jesus' name, I I mean this, and I trust you for healing where there's damaged relationships between fathers and children. I'm living proof that you can turn the hearts of the fathers and children back toward each other and they can finish well. Let them hear your heart on that matter. Thank you and praise you for your goodness. Let Jesus be glorified. There ain't nobody like you. I look forward to the day we see you face to face as a father. Let Jesus be glorified in his precious name I pray. Amen. God bless you.